Enjoyed that little track, and it was done and performed by Sandra Yatife, a very talented uh, composer and singer from uh, Indonesia. She has a live uh, debut EP, which is entitled Bahasa Hati. Uh, in in English, is meant language of the heart, and it was released in 2017. I'll be speaking to her in a short while, Sandra Yatife. Kabar. Baik, terima kasih. I'm doing really well. How are you? Yeah, uh, we are good here and uh, thanks for taking your time which is uh, thousands of kilometers away uh, from where we are now to take part in this uh, little podcast that we're doing. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really honored to be here and to be part of the beginning of something new. I think it's a really healthy thing to be doing these days, trying new things. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can... Uh, enlighten us uh, in terms of mm-hmm. some of your um, background? Yeah, sure. Um, this is usually the question that I dread most <laughs> when people ask me because, uh, you know, it's it tends to be a little bit complicated. But, you know, lots of people do have complicated backgrounds. But um, I was born in Indonesia. I was born in Jakarta um, and raised in, in just... Bogor outside of Jakarta and in Bali. Um, but my mother, she's Filipino. And we lived there growing up a little bit as well. And my father, he's from America. But he has been living in Southeast Asia since he was in his 20s. <laughs> so he's kind of been adopted into into Filipino families and into Indonesian families as well. Wow, yeah. it's kind of like very eccentric background uh, or the roots you have there. Um, does it you know, brings you to um, your musical influence? I mean, has it always been in the family? Yeah, yeah I was. 
I was, yeah, my parents, they sing a lot. My father plays guitar, my mom too. Um, we always grew up with a piano and lots of different guitars in the house. My dad writes songs. They're really into like folk music and kind of like Americana, like American folk music. And, and they're actually, they're activists, my parents. They were, they're environmentalists and work on indigenous people's rights and forest people's rights in Southeast Asia, rainforest protection, things like this. And music for them has always been an incredible avenue for expression, for their kind of like things that, that people are fighting for in movements and things like this. And so I kind of grew up with music as a power tool for that and influence from my parents' work, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was so grateful. I have two sisters as well, and they are very talented artists and musicians. They sing as well. So Maybe yeah. you can consider one day to actually um, join forces and do something together with your family or sisters? Yeah, well, every time we're together, um, our, our friends call us the Von Trapp family. <laughs> Because, yeah, we're always singing together. But um, my, I think I'm the only one in the family who's decided to take it into more of a career as well. So, yeah, I hope to, to work with them one day, always. <laughs> But it's part of the whole music being part of our life, you know, and, and that, in that we're always working together. It's really deep as I mm -hmm. listen to some of the tracks, uh, I mean, your songs. And I, I, I do notice there's a, some sort of uh, organic tenderness into it. How do you actually get into um, the process of Uh, knowing your voice and discovering it. I know this is a very important uh, a discovery for most of the singer-songwriter. And, and just uh, go deep with us into this. Mm, that's a really good question, actually. I think the discovering of voice is still kind of a journey that I am exploring, to be honest. <laughs> still, it feels like an ongoing journey. Um, I'm... I tend to be quite a shy person, and so um, to sing publicly took me a really long time to do. Um, and I was lucky to always be encouraged to sing. Um, and so I, it's been this really interesting journey of like, I always knew that there's something I have to say, and there's something I'd like to share, because I, I write quite a lot. Um, but to use the voice has been probably the most vulnerable thing. And yeah, it's just so, you're right, that word tender is so real. For me, it's like so vulnerable to finally release that, to share that. And um, a huge process that helped me kind of ground into my voice was theater. And like, I studied theater in university in America. And I studied acting and directing and, and theater education. And it was such an incredible journey to like land in my body and like learn about the body, learn about emotion, learn about expression and all the different, you know, the spectrum that we have to choose from. And also the amount of surrender that is involved in, in sharing something. Um, and then like doing all the, the groundwork for that surrender to be as free as possible. Um, it's been a really interesting journey. Um, but theater, I'm so grateful to all my theater communities. I was there for three years. I didn't finish, <laughs> I didn't finish. 
Um, but yeah, I studied music after that. I went to music school because I realized I really wanted to focus on that. And music for me was something that I, I received so much from performing a song in relationship to like performing a theater piece. I was just noticing like, oh, I think, I think that's where my calling wants to be focused on. So yeah, I transferred. And um, as we dwell deeper with uh, Sandriati, she actually enlightens us on her creative processes in terms of composing and writing, whether the melody starts first or the music. So this is what she has to say. Mm, yeah, it's actually always changing the process. Um, for me, a lot of work stems from improvisation. And that's also something I learned in theater too, actually, just like um, what I was talking about with that element of surrender, like you have everything you need and you just come to the instrument and I, and I just maybe play chords and melodies come and then words come and then I like, will start writing based on the first five words that come and then I write an entire piece and see if the melody fits into it and you'll change it as it goes. Or sometimes I'll have a poem that's already done and then I just create music to it. Uh, other times, it takes a long time for the words to come. Yeah. At the same time, also I asked her um, to share some of her writings, poetry, you know, any of her life journals, and um, either in Bahasa or in English. And yeah, this is uh, what she commented. Right. In Bahasa, my writing is so. Um, it's so, how do I describe it? It's very like a, like a child, <laughs> um, which, is, which is not a bad thing, right? I've learned that it's like, it's writing from, from just that raw perspective of just like, this is exactly as it is. And in English, my writing tends to be very symbolic. And it's not as like direct as it is when I'm writing in Indonesian. Um, so I'm, yeah, I actually enjoy writing both. My first EP is called Bahasa Hati, which means language of the heart, yeah. And this poem was actually the introduction to the EP. So it was just called Intro. It goes like this. Empty spaces, places that tempt, desire awakens, illusion makes sense. Then a moment of shaking turns it all black and the stars are breaking open my eyes, lacking of nothing, everything empty, soft at first, then penetrating all I've ever known as lights shine through. I'm changing, cycles of blood showing me so in the home of my heart. Ah is only what and how, and where is me now? So laughter, beckon us alive. In one tone we live and die, for energy in emptiness is all this ever is. And I will rise as remembrance, and rest into my wilderness. Rest myself awake. 
that that poem actually is a little bit of a sneaky little conglomeration of every single song that's in the EP. So not many people realize it. And it's actually not, I haven't actually shared this with anyone as my little sneaky sneaky, but it's um, a lot of the words in the intro have to do with the lyrics of the songs that are to come in the EP. So it's interesting. A fantastic piece of writing. And I asked Sandriati um, during her time of writing this uh, piece, what was in her mind? <laughs> actually, I, it's so funny with these poems specifically. I really wasn't thinking much. Uh, at the time I was, I was doing this, I was part of a band called Prana which is like life force, breath of life. And it's like a workshop band with all of these instrumentalists from all over Indonesia, like percussionists. And it was such a funny, like cool, eclectic band. And I was the singer in it. And we were, I, there was, I think two songs where I was required to just improvise words, like random, completely. It didn't matter. And I was like, oh, that's a bit difficult for me to do in Indonesian, actually. And they're like, just do it in English. Okay, it's fine. And I was just improvising all these words, and I got into this stream of, like, this flow for weeks where I was able to just write without thinking. Like, it was all coming out. And all the poems in, my, in the Bahasa Hati EP were written that way. Um, and so, I, yeah, there was really hardly any thought to it. And then only later did I realize, oh, my God, all of the words, all the lyrics from the EP are in this one poem. It has to be the introduction poem. It, so it's, it's really a beautiful, a beautiful experience of just letting go and trusting in, in the creative uh, flow. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's kind of a hard space to enter, I realize, because of the vulnerability, because it's so unknown. And I, and I notice that it, the older I get, the more I want to know things. <laughs> so I just like, I honor that, that, that child, right? The, the, the innocent approach at things. And I hope to continue to be able to reach that. And yeah, Sandretti, now you're in Reykjavik, Iceland. Uh, mind telling us uh, what's your plan there and why there? That's a good question. <laughs> it's a very random place in the world to be. <laughs> um, I actually came to Iceland last year because my parents live in Sweden now. And um, yeah, their work is all based out of Scandinavia, like in Norway and Sweden. And when I came to Iceland to visit a friend last year, I really fell in love with it. And the landscape and the people, it's just so... Honestly, it wasn't a, an initial like falling in love with the place, it was more like this deep curiosity. Like, it felt so foreign and yet kind of familiar. And I was just intrigued. And when I was here last summer, I went to an Ed Sheeran concert <laughs> with a friend of mine. And I met one of the most legendary musicians in Iceland at this concert. And he was like, like, the, like the Bruce Springsteen of Iceland or something, like Bob Dylan of Iceland, who had been playing music for decades and so many albums and a lot of really beautiful songs about 
about the people and activism and different things. And he was just a really beautiful human. And we clicked, we got along really well. And he invited me to sing at his um, Christmas concert. And he's, yeah, last year. And he's like, are you, are you still going to be in Iceland in, in December? Come join me and we can do rehearsals. And I was like, oh, yikes, I don't know if I'll still be in Iceland. I'm just here visiting for a couple of weeks. But there was something about this, like, I don't know, the recognition of someone and the, the presence with each other that I was just drawn to. Okay, I think that I'd like to, to come back and, and explore. Um, just working from here for a bit. So I was here last year for a couple months uh, in preparation for that concert. And yeah, ended up wanting to come back because I've never recorded a studio album before and I really would love to do that here. Um, for several different reasons. But it seems like a really, it's a really challenging place actually for me. Um, and I like that challenge, I guess, subconsciously. <laughs> I, I'm craving to grow and I feel like this is a really good place for me to do that at the moment because I found some really incredible humans here who are so willing to help and, and create together and it feels really good to be here. I see. I think it's a it's a very popular place now for I mean in Iceland for artists and composers and all that to actually record there. Um, at the moment, for your debut album, do you have a title album for it yet? Um, can you share with us more on this? I don't yet. I don't have a title for it yet, but um, I think I might release it in two parts. And the first five songs I have um, almost done basically. And the next um, four, I think I'll do it in like, yeah, it's still a little bit in raw stages, to be honest. But I have most of the songs done already, but it's it's just like cleaning it all up and playing with it. And it's, it's really the first time I've done anything that is more um, planned, I guess. <laughs> but at the same time, it's, it's like really good balance with it being very spontaneous and, and open because I'm finally working with with other people on this in a way that feels like I'm, I'm working with a co-producer and it's like, okay, we can, I have someone here who, who can help vision this creation with me, which is so exciting. Um, because the population in Iceland is so small, it's only about 350,000 people on the entire country, <laughs> um, they actually created a campaign a couple of years ago to invite foreign artists to record in Iceland. And yeah, and if you actually record your album here and you release the album, then the, there is an, you can apply for a support from the government to help cover like 30% of all your production costs. So you can already receive money as kind of a grant as an artist and recording and using Icelandic studios and it's like a campaign that they literally promote on the airplane brochures and things like this. <laughs> so it's, it's really cool to be um, integrating into a society that really values art as work. Wow, I think that is the drive that uh, most uh, recording artists um, is or, or someone practicing creative uh, um, you know, works and all that truly looking for because the support 
it's it's there you see as you mentioned there's a campaign and a grant for the recording so it's very supportive again that's the thing that most of the practitioners i mean the creative practitioners are truly looking forward to does being in in iceland now um, create a certain um, landscape or platform for your writing Uh, yeah i've written a lot yeah I've written a lot since being here. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this whole... Of course, of course the space will influence an artist, right? I, I, there's definitely... Yeah, the environment will definitely will influence that. But there's also a part of me that, like, also would like to not attach any of that to a place. Um, because there's something that is kind of magical about being exactly who you are in a space, no matter where you are, you know, and just like what you receive will be, I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) It's just like a space will influence it, but also I guess what I'm saying is that it's, um, it doesn't matter so much, I think, of that, because it's, it's essentially... Um, it, un, universal, I think, when it comes to sound, and like, yeah, it's. I don't. I guess for me personally, I feel so attached to needing to know what a home is and where home is, and I think that attachment causes me pain because I'm like trying to always belong somewhere, um, and so when. I can just say that I'm home in my body and I'm home where I am and that the songs come based on that, then it's not necessarily needing to be anywhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I can, I can still feel at home here and feel connected to Indonesia where I, where I physically feel the most at home. And that's been a really great challenge for me. I did approach uh, Sandriati. Uh, if it wasn't for music, what would she be doing? Yeah, I think um, a big thing that has interested me so much is working on like someone who maybe a writer. Maybe I'd be writing um, like stories on. I'm so interested in immigrant culture and like the history of immigration and like communities of people who are based in foreign countries and things like this. I noticed that if I had the time and space and wasn't doing music, I would just be like creating documents and documents of like stories based on um, immigrant cultures, like people who have immigrated from other places in the world. I find it so fascinating and I, and I really kind of, I'm really curious about this. And when I was living in the States as a a college student, I was teaching English to maintenance workers from South America. And I really connected with this community of people and found it to be so interesting and just so bizarre that someone like me, who had never lived in America, yeah, I I was born with an American citizenship because my father's American. And these this community of people that I met, they had lived in America over 30 years and still 
feel so segregated from like the American culture themselves and they didn't even speak English that well and they were still so and I was just so baffled by this like how is it that someone like me who's never been in this country can suddenly be so welcomed and just thought of as an American and like these communities have for years been I was so baffled and the situation like the refugee situation all over the world is just horrifying to see and I'm just so curious about how to humanize all this and share the stories and I would probably put a lot of time and energy into that if I wasn't doing music um, because it's something that really I, I'm very caught by. Malaysia is very interesting for this too because huh? there's such a conglomeration of people from all over Asia and in Malaysia and the different languages there so interesting tool in the world to be able to actually accept the diversity not tolerate it not use the word tolerate because it isn't about one community of people being better than the other and having to submit to anything but just like the the really honoring and the and of diversity and the ability to fully celebrate that because we are one kind, we're one humankind. <laughs> and it's so important that we remember that. It's a very good comment and facts. Uh, it's just straight on to it. Um, the next thing I'd like to ask you is if you could change your industry, I mean the music industry that you're in at the moment, uh, if you want to change it, what would it be? Yeah, to be honest, I've only just recently decided to really enter the industry and start thinking like someone who's thinking in the industry. Um, I've been so sheltered and protective of my own work, and I think too much, <laughs> where I would just kind of like put all these walls up because I just feel so um, unsure about exploit exploiting it. Like, what's the balance between exploitation and like actual sharing and 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 accessibility you know um i think it, this question could just get very existential for me because i just think that the systems in which money operates in the world isn't a sustainable one and the music industry is so tied into that system as well and so I think if I say one thing that I would like to change about it, it would also relate to the fact that we're part of something so much greater that is in this really cyclical and unhealthy loop of imbalance. <laughs> um, but I think that, yeah, I think that one big thing that needs to change in the music industry is the awareness about um, how to be as eco-friendly as possible. That's a good thing that we can focus on because there's so many things that are just like, so many things that don't need to be wrapped in plastic. You know what I mean? <laughs> Basic things. And the fact that touring is very, very, like not carbon footprint friendly. I think there are many things that the music industry can do that can help um, take down yeah, the carbon footprint um, and yeah, that includes things like festivals, like the amount of trash at festivals and the amount of like in unorganized um, um, ways of of like 
planning which festivals go after what other festivals. Like I know there are some musicians who literally will take like seven flights or eight flights in a week and maybe they wouldn't have to do that because maybe one festival can collab collaborate with another festival not too far away where they can actually get the musicians to take a bus instead of flying to another country first and then going to that festival. You know what I mean? Like It's just like there's so many little organizational things that, that festivals could actually work together for during a festival season to be able to make it easier for artists to actually travel in a, in a more eco-friendly way. Yeah. And I think this also goes to like riders. Like when I, when I was in Indonesia, we created an eco-rider where we had no plastic on our rider whatsoever. And do you know what a rider is? It's that, yeah, so uh, it's just like making sure that on this rider, we can also make it a template. And so we can give it to other musicians to like edit on their own for what their needs are and also have it be like no plastic at all and just have everything, we have everything provided for us that can, can, can make it reusable or more eco-friendly. It's just so simple. <laughs> and like before we did this, we created it because for some reason they would always have like a hundred plastic water bottles backstage for us because they want to take care of us. And we're like, ah, we don't need this. We have our own bottles. So we, have our so we had to really make it part of the rules. If you're going to book us to come play for you, this is how we do it. And actually, it's cheaper for you <laughs> as well. <laughs> so it's just having to kind of like re rework that system a little bit. Wow, I didn't expect that um, coming, but it was just just enormous. I mean, that is a straight-on enormous answer or, or your point of view on the entire um, change you would like to see. Okay, moving on. Any um, future plans? What's, what is the next big thing uh, for you? I think I'm doing a live stream concert in June. Um, yeah, June 21st, I believe. And it's called like SOS Rainforest. And it's like a fundraiser for the um, forest peoples and indigenous peoples all over, um, I think mostly in Southeast Asia specifically this, for this festival. But it's a part of a series of concerts that are happening in support of indigenous peoples and forest peoples from all over the world. And so they're gathering several different artists to perform um, one or two songs or three songs and they're like compiling it into one big concert showcase as a fundraiser. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I can send you the information as well once we have all the times and things set, but that's happening on the 21st of June, and I'm really excited for it because I'll be debuting one of my um, songs from my new album during this performance. Yeah. Once your album is out, uh, can we get a copy of it? Yes, you definitely can. I've also just started a Patreon, which is a very new experiment for me. And Patreon is a platform where you can subscribe to creators and artists, and you can subscribe and support them monthly. And also you receive, as a patron who subscribes, you receive um, several different things from this creator, which is me or anybody who's on that platform. And um, I've been sharing so much on there that I would never really 
share with anyone. And it's been really cool, just like journal entries, behind the scenes stuff from all my past projects, um, some uh, kind of podcast style storytellings on things. And also I've just been sharing like a cover of a song that I really love or, uh, uh, or I'll share an old song or a new song. And on this platform, you can also get early access and discounts on my upcoming work as well. So it's a really cool thing to be playing with. And it's just patreon.com slash sandrayati. It's really easy to go to. So if you'd like to share that, that'd be so, so amazing. Okay, we look forward for that. Um, last but not least, any big thank yous that you want to shout out to? Someone who, you know, someone who is along your way and help you or someone who is very meaningful to you? Maybe you can share with us some of your thoughts. Oh my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> so many. I love this saying. Um, I'm not going to get it right, but there's a saying about, like, I am only all the people who inspire me, you know? I am only a result of all the, all the inspiration that has been um, compiled over the years, um, which is so many people, so many experiences that I'd like to thank. So I don't even know where to begin on that, because if I thank one person, then I'll feel bad for not thanking another. <laughs> Um, but I guess the, the basic thing I can say thank you for is like I've had such a supportive family. Um, my parents and my sisters, my aunties, and my, they've just been incredible um, rocks of support. And I just always, always am so grateful for them and the kind of home that they create with me and for me. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sandretti. Um, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, we wish you all the best uh, in your future you. uh, recording. Thank you so much. And also the uh, debut mm-hmm. album. I hope to come home soon. Oh, I have a fun little anecdote to share with you right before we leave. Um, I was sitting at my favorite cafe here in Reykjavik. And it's just on this little hill. And you can kind of overlook one of the mountains. Um, and I was sitting on the edge of the cafe and I look across and I see there's a book that's written in Bahasa right across from me and it was so random I was like oh my goodness who is this and it turns out there was um, this this cafe is called the Cactus Cafe and there was a Malaysian writer who left her book of poems at this cafe as a thank you because they had really good hot chocolate and she just happened to write a book of poems that's also called Cactus. And so she gave them a gift saying, thank you, look, I have a book that I wrote called Cactus, here's for you, thanks for the hot chocolate. And um, she had visited, she was a tourist and had visited Reykjavik in October last year. And all her poems were in Bahasa and I was so happy, I was like, oh my goodness, it's so beautiful, all these really beautiful poems, I can understand it, I can read it. And I felt like, you know, it's kind of lonely out here. Nobody speaks my language, nobody. And so it was really fun to, to run into her book of poems. And I found her name. Her name is Asya Rais. Aisha? Aisha. 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 Aisha Rais. And I tagged her on a photo on Instagram. And then she messages me saying, Oh my God, thank you for finding my poem, my book of poems. I wanted to thank you for your music because I've been listening to Daramuda for the past month during quarantine. 
which is my trio in Indonesia. I have a trio called Dara Muda, and she's been listening to our music for the past month, so we both had this connection, um, and I just happened to pass by. So I was so grateful for her and her poems and running into them while I was in cold Iceland. <laughs> and I was, yeah, I just wanted to share that with you because she's also Malaysian. Wow, that's a very good sign. And it's always a welcoming feeling when you have something from your uh, roots that you can you can actually feel it when you're abroad, when you're in a foreign land, I see. It's a sign, Sandra, maybe you have to come back uh, to your home or maybe you should come to Malaysia and play as a show, Do I would it. say. <laughs> I'd be so happy to. Maybe while my album's done, I can come back. Thank you again, Sandra, Stay creative and stay safe and we hope to hear from you again and I hope to see you live uh, in our land in a very short time. Thank you too. We've been speaking and um, listening to Sandra Atife, a singer-songwriter and hope to catch you guys in the next episode of the Great Shelter Podcast. Thank you.